The kitchen table was a centerpiece in my childhood home. Around that four-legged piece of furniture, we would eat and talk and enjoy the company of friends. If that old childhood table could talk, it could tell some stories. Even to this day, when Jane Ellen and I and the children go back to Kentucky and visit my parents, we spend a significant time around the table. This morning, we come around this table. This is a centerpiece to who we are as the people of God. Around this table, we gather to eat and to talk and to enjoy the company of a friend of sinners. Believe me when I tell you this, that this table can talk and this table does have a story to tell. With that in mind, I invite you to take a copy of God's word, turn to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 20 verses 7 to 12. And once you've found that place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. This morning, I want to talk to you a sermon that's simply entitled, Preached to Death. Preached to Death. Acts chapter 20, allow me to begin at verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. And Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive, and they were greatly comforted. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. You and I would do well to note that this story of death to life is bracketed and surrounded by the Lord's Supper. You find a reference to the Lord's table in verse 7. You also find it mentioned in verse 11. In verse 7 of our passage, Luke, who's the author, simply writes that on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. This is one of the earliest records of the church gathering on the first day of the week. Now, prior to this, most uh, people who followed Christ continued to meet on the Sabbath. After all, those early believers were rooted in their Jewish heritage, and so they were uh, in the habit of gathering on the Sabbath and worshiping God then. But apparently, early on, somebody had a brilliant idea. They thought to themselves, you know, since Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day, on Resurrection Sunday, since he was raised on the first day of the week, don't you think it's a good idea for us as a church to gather and to worship the Lord on the first day of the week? 
And they all thought that was a swell idea. In fact, it's had some staying power for more than 2,000 years. The church has gathered on this holy day, on this day, uh, when we come together in God's house, on God's day with God's people to worship the God of the universe. Because every Sunday, we remind ourselves that the tomb is empty. Every Sunday, we remind ourselves that the tomb that was empty some 2,000 years ago is still empty today. That the Jesus that was raised from the dead then is still very much alive today. And the reason we gather uh, in a rhythmic fashion every seven days is to remind ourselves that the tomb is empty and to heal our holy amnesia. Because sometimes we act as if the tomb is occupied. But the reality is the tomb is empty. And since the tomb is empty, God can handle all my problems and predicaments. And since the tomb is empty, God can handle all of your dilemmas and disappointments. And since the tomb is empty, God can handle all of our suffering and setback. We come on every Sunday just to remind ourselves and to remind one another that the tomb is empty. And since the tomb is empty, God can handle anything that I drag into the church or anything that drags me into church because God is able. If anything reminds us that God is able, it is early on that first Sunday morning when Jesus rose with all power and victory in his hands. The tomb is empty. I suspect that had God raised Jesus on Thursday, you and I would meet on Thursday. Had God raised Jesus on Tuesday, we would meet on Tuesday. But God raised him on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so every time a Sunday rolls around, God's people get together on the first day of the week. And here the text says it on that first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's Luke's way of saying that we had holy communion. We gathered around the sacred table. We took the bread and we took the cup. We broke bread. This reference of breaking bread, it it forms bookends around our passage. We read of it in verse 7. We also read of it in verse 11 that Paul once again went back upstairs and we broke bread and ate. The breaking of bread in the book of Acts is always synonymous with observing the Lord's table. When Luke writes this, he's not saying in good Baptist fashion that we just had a bunch of casseroles and we came together and had a big spread and a nice meal and a feast. No, when it says that we broke bread together, that means that we came together to observe Holy Communion. You go to a place like Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and Luke tells us that the church was devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four things are four Uh, characteristics that the church clings to, that we adhere to, we are devoted to, we are devoted to doctrine. Doctrine does matter. Doctrine is what we believe and what we believe shapes how we behave. And so we have a faith that's passed down from one generation to the next. What was given to the apostles was then given to the next generation of the church. We've received it from those who've gone before us. We pass it on with integrity to those that follow after us. So doctrine does matter because what we believe influences greatly how we behave. So the church is devoted to doctrine, the apostles teaching, 
but also to fellowship because we understand we can't make this thing called life go on our own. We need fellowship with God and we need fellowship one with the other. We are not on an island. We are not lone rangers. We need each other. We are incomplete without one another. But he also says that as a church, we are devoted to the breaking of bread. That does not mean that we just go to Chick-fil-A every once in a while. That doesn't mean that we just go to the Golden Corral. It doesn't mean that we just share a meal together. It means that we are gospel people. We come and gather around this table for this table proclaims the gospel. That though we were dead, we've been made alive again through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And because of his broken body and his shed blood, all of our sins are atoned for. And Jesus drank every last drop of God's holy hostility that should be meted out against you and against me. And Jesus took it upon himself. We are gospel people. We are table people. And from this table is proclaimed the gospel. So we cling to this gospel. We clutch to this gospel. We're devoted to the breaking of bread. And also in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says that the church was devoted to prayer. As air is to breathing, so prayer is to the life of the believer. We cannot sustain life apart from prayer. Talking with God. And by God's spirit, him communicating with us through the power of his word. So all throughout the book of Acts, whenever Luke says that we broke bread together, what he means is, is that we observed the Lord's Supper. We had holy communion with God. Now in our story, we are told that the apostle Paul was making his way to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, he came to Troas. That's the city. That's the backdrop of Acts chapter 20. He gets to Troas and he wants to meet with the church there and gather with the believers. And so because uh, Paul's itinerary is tight, he knows that tomorrow he's going to have to board a boat and set sail and move on towards Jerusalem. The text says that he got together and he preached on and on until midnight. The sermon was ours. It was lengthy. It went on and on. We were told that a young man named Eutychus was there among the believers. To say that um, he is a young man is to say that he's somewhere between the ages of 9 and 19. Now, all of us can relate to this teenager, can't we? We we can understand him, our hearts go out to him, for all of us have struggled under the, you know, the the, the blundering, blabbering of a preacher that just goes on and on. I mean, Paul in this moment was kind of like a Pharaoh preacher. You know what a Pharaoh preacher is, don't you? It's a preacher that just will not let God's people go. I mean, that's a Pharaoh preacher. And so that's what Paul was doing, and he was just going on and on. And and you know what it is to sit under uh, the, the pedantic ongoing of a preacher and I know right now you're not thinking about me you're thinking about somebody else <laughs> but uh, but but you know what it is to just sit there and you know what it is to struggle to stay awake that the longer that the preacher goes the heavier the eyelids become some of you know that far too well because some of you it's not just a teenage problem that's an adult problem <laughs> You understand what it is to struggle. That's poor Eutychus. I mean, he's trying to stay awake. But the longer Paul goes, the deeper sleep he enters into. In fact, when it says that he sank into deep sleep, the Greek word is hypnos, from which we get the English word hypnotic or hypnosis. I mean, this teenager is fast asleep. 
Have you, have you recently tried to wake up a teenager? I mean, do you know how hard that can be sometimes? I mean, some teenagers, they, it's like a hibernating bear. I mean, you got to go in with a foghorn really to kind of wake them up. And even if you make as much noise as possible, you may only get a grunt or a rollover and that's about it. I mean, you know what it is to sleep like a teenager. This guy named Eutychus, he is falling fast asleep. He is, he is sinking down into sleep. Uh, he has hypnos, which is a deep level of sleep. And this funny story becomes tragic for suddenly he falls out the window in which he was seated and he falls down some 30 feet, three stories, and he falls down to his own death. The apostle Paul runs down the steps. He lays himself on that dead corpse and he says to the church, don't be alarmed. He's alive. And the life of Eutychus came back. They went back up the steps. Apparently, they had the Lord's Supper again because it says again, we broke bread and we also ate. So that means they had the Lord's Supper twice and then they had a big spread, a lot of casseroles. They had a big Baptist feast. And so what do you do after you've heard an multi-hour sermon and then there's been a mighty miracle and you've had the Lord's Supper not once but twice and then you've had a, a large spread of food and then what do you do after that? Apparently you preach until daybreak. That's what Paul does. He preaches till the very next morning and then they get on, he, they put him on a boat and he sets sail and the church leaves and they are comforted and Eutychus, he goes home alive. It's a great little story, isn't it? And I think um, that Luke, in a masterful way, puts this story of death to life on purpose around the Lord's table. This story of a miraculous uh, resurrection, it's not the only such story in the Bible. You remember this was commonplace in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went into a village called Nain and there he bumped into a funeral procession. He touched the coffin and everybody stopped. You bet your bottom dollar everybody stopped. Why? Because the holy rabbi had just touched death. And Jesus looked into that casket and said, little boy, get up. And he scooped him up out of the casket, turned and gave him to his mother and say, hey, ma, look, your boy's alive. It's amazing. They got far more excited than you just did. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and then... um, Jesus was invited to go to the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And Jairus literally put his neck on the line, put his profession on the line, put his job on the line by calling that, uh, that, that rabbi from Galilee. He said, Jesus, will you please come and heal my daughter? And by the time Jesus got there, she was dead. He went into the room and he said to that little girl, Talitha Ka'um, which means little girl, get up. <laughs> and the little girl jumped up and began to run around the room. And then who can forget that famous story when Jesus was four days late to the funeral and yet somehow he was right on time and he went to his BFF Lazarus and he ordered for the stone to be rolled away and he said, Lazarus, come out. And that dead man came hopping out of the grave and everybody went crazy. This was commonplace in the ministry of Jesus. But it's not just a New Testament thing. It's also an Old Testament thing. In a place like 1 Kings chapter 17, it's Elijah who goes uh, to 
that area outside of Israel to Zarephath. And there he raises the only son of a widow who died. This is not just something that's done in the Old Testament, not just something done in the ministry of Jesus, not just something that only Paul did. No, even Peter did this. For earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, it is Peter who is brought to the home of Dorcas, uh, a woman who was a godly gal and she helped a lot of people. And as Peter got there, the room was full of individuals who had been ministered to and helped by uh, Dorcas. And Peter goes and he calls her by name and tells her to get up. And this dead woman gets up. Life brought to death. But of course, the ultimate story, the quintessential story of life coming out of death is the story of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is, according to the Apostle Paul, the first fruit of resurrection. The only reason that all these other cats could be raised from the dead was because Jesus would be raised from the dead. Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. It's because of him and it's through the power of him that anybody else can be raised. It is through him and because of him that you have the promise of resurrection, believer. It is through Christ. He is the first fruit of resurrection that Jesus, though he was dead, crucified, Not for any sins he committed, for he who knew no sin became sin for us. He died vicariously. He died as your substitute. He died in your place. And he took all the punishment that you should have deserved. He took an eternity's worth of condemnation in a few hour window on a given Friday in the third decade of the first century. And Jesus, the God man, died And his body was taken and placed into a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, Jesus got up from the grave that he brought life out of death. And because of the life and work of Jesus, you and I have hope eternal. It is only because of Christ. So Christ is the first fruit of resurrection. I'm convinced that's what Paul's talking about for hours and hours and hours and hours. I just have a holy hunch here. I've got a holy hunch that this is the topic of his sermon. And the reason I say that is because the verse that precedes our passage, which is Acts chapter 20, verse 6, says that just a week and a half ago, they had just had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you realize the Feast of Unleavened Bread is Passover. And you know that Passover is when the first exodus took place. So this is a couple years later. And so uh, the church had just celebrated a week and a half ago, Easter. And Paul... By the time he got to Troas, he stayed with them for a week. And I think he's still talking about the glorious resurrection. I think he's still talking about Easter. And I think this is the subject matter of his sermon. Because every preacher I know worth his salt can talk hours and hours and hours about Jesus. And that's what Paul does. And he preaches about Jesus. And I think, I'm just convinced that when he saw old boy Eutychus fall out, he thought to himself, object lesson, (laughs) illustration right here. All right. So he runs down the steps and, and he lays on him and he says, hey, church, I've been talking about the fact that he is alive. And because he is alive, he is alive. Did you get that? Because Jesus is alive, Eutychus is alive. What a great illustration. What a powerful moment. So he lays on him and he says he's alive. He says the same thing that the angels said to those who came to the tomb on that first Easter morning. He's alive. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is alive. That same phrase, that glorious phrase. 
that Christian phrase, he is alive. Because Jesus is alive, Eutychus is alive. In this story, this is my story. And this is your story, perhaps. Because I gotta be honest, there was a time when I was dead in my sin. I was dead as dead could be. There was no way I could lift myself up. There was no way I could heal myself. There was no way I could bring myself to life. I was dead in my sin. But it wasn't the Apostle Paul who came down the heavenly staircase. It was King Jesus. And Jesus came down the staircase and he threw himself upon me. He breathed new life into me. And he said to the watching world, because I'm alive, he's alive. That's my story. It might be your story. There may be a time when you were dead in your sins, but God in Christ has made you alive in Christ Jesus. 700 years before the coming of Christ to earth, the prophet named Isaiah said, this is precisely what will happen. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquity. And the punishment, chastisement that will bring us peace will be placed upon him. There's more than one person that calls Isaiah 53, which is from which I get those last few lines. Isaiah 53 is God's gospel. Some have called it the first gospel. In your Bible, you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But some have said that Isaiah chapter 53 is the first gospel. For 700 years before the coming of Christ, God declares, this is precisely what I'm going to do. For because Jesus was stretched wide and raised high and laid low, this Jesus will be raised from the dead as the first fruit of resurrection. He will bring life out of death, not just in his own self, but also for you and you and you and you and everyone who believes. Friend, this is my story. This could be your story. If it's not your story, it can be today. Today, you can go from death unto life, no faith to faith. For the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus is God's son and confess your allegiance to Christ. The last line of our passage says that uh, the church went home comforted. And Eutychus he went home alive. Church, today, I want you to go home comforted. Whatever you bring in here, I want you to know God is able. He can handle it. And I want you to walk out of here not deflated, not discouraged. I want you to walk out of here uh, not sad uh, and not, uh, not, not sick. I want you to walk out of here and say, I know that my God is able. I want you to walk out comforted. And if there's a Eutychus in the crowd, I want you to walk out and go home alive. You were dead in your sins, but through Christ, you've been made alive. There are a lot of people that are walking dead. They're walking around and they are completely and utterly dead and disconnected from God. They are dead in their sin. And that may be you, my friend, today. I want you to accept Jesus Christ by faith and go home alive in Christ.
If you're a baptized believer in our Lord Jesus Christ, then you're invited to come to this table. This is the table that speaks. This is the table that communicates a story. This table communicates the gospel that though we were sinners, it is God who came in the flesh and he died on the cross for you and for me. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that you could have complete remission of sin. And if you are a baptized believer in Christ, then Jesus invites you to come and eat He wants to talk with you around this table and he wants you to enjoy the fellowship of the friend of sinners. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this moment of observing the Lord's Supper. This is something that we cling to. This is something that we adhere to. We thank you for the good gospel story. And oh, Father, we thank you that on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and cup. You gave it to your disciples And you told them that you would die for us so that we may live. For all of us that are in Christ right now in this moment, Lord Jesus, please invite us to your table. Sit right beside us. Speak to us, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.